Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the fourth class of our uh, Noble Dhamma Practice Structured Study. Uh, Ram began uh, this, uh, this structured study with two excellent uh, suttas, an excerpt on the Aryapariyasana Sutta on noble and ignoble searches. We have to be looking in the right direction if we hope to find what we're looking for. And then on the Dhammachaka Papatana Sutta, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Sakavabhanga Sutta, the analysis of the Four Noble Truths, um, as a great introduction to this. And then Jen gave a talk on the Maha Dukkha Kanda Sutta uh, relating to the First Noble Truth, the truth of Dukkha. Um, and last week I gave the greatest talk so far uh, <laughs> on the, uh, the Avarana and the Nihya Sutta. <laughs> Uh, relating to um, craving for and clinging to views ignorant of four noble truths that only maintain uh, ongoing stress and ignorance, and how those hindrances can be easily recognized and simply abandoned, and then how we do that, which is what the Buddha taught by here, is recognizing that nothing in this world should be taken as personal because nothing is. And we, we remind ourselves of that in practice all the time with different sayings, memes, you know, wise restraint means in this moment that nothing is, take, is taken personal. And if I find myself reacting in any way, I remind myself, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. This has nothing to do with me. I am just a six-property person experiencing this human life. This, uh, this sutta, the Anupada Sutta, um, relates to impermanence in a, in a way that we haven't looked at it yet, but through, through um, jhana meditation, but how the, um, the deepening concentration in jhana and recognizing the ever-deepening levels of jhana, increasing concentration, is also an experience, a direct experience of um, a, a conscious engagement with impermanence rather than being distracted by it. In fact, you could say that Dhamma practice charges us with being present with things that are always changing. It's kind of the whole point. And, and for many of us, that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? To, to have enough concentration moment by moment to then have the inner poise to, to pull into what's most appropriate in this moment as far as the framework of the Eightfold Path. And that'll, that'll become a little more clear, I think, through the sutta and looking at it in that context. The Anapana Sutta. Ending fabrications one after another. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying in Savati, at Jita's Grove, and Nathapandika's monastery. He addressed those gathered. Friends, Venerable Saraputta is wise. Saraputta is of great, deep, and penetrating discernment. For two weeks, Saraputta, secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities, gained profound insight into unskillful, unskillful mental qualities one after another. There's a lot in those words, but there's even more than is apparent in these words. For one thing, what the Buddha is referring to about Sariputta, secluded from sensuality for two weeks, 
was the beginning of Sariputta's engagement with the Buddha's Dhamma. So Sariputta and Moggallana were uh, contemporaries of Siddhartha, and they traveled around the same circles. You could, you know, you might say in today's parlance, they drank at the same watering holes and that type of thing. So they had the same teachers. They had similar experiences. And obviously, when <clears throat> Moggallana and Sariputta heard of Siddhartha and what he had achieved, gained understanding, they wanted to find out. And so they came to the, to the Buddha. They said, what's your teaching? He gave them a brief teaching. Uh, two week, for two weeks, Sariputta sat considering what he had just learned. <clears throat> and after two weeks' time, Sariputta awakened. He gained full human maturity. Moggallana did so in, in just a slightly longer um, time frame. And both of those, Moggallana and Sariputta, were known as Buddha's chief disciples throughout his teaching career. And they died, interestingly, all around the same time. Who is this? Let's see who's coming late. So let's hope it's not somebody bad. <laughs> Protest the Dhamma. Um, and then just let me go back and touch on something too. The, the Buddha's teaching everyone here. Then in 2,600 years later, Orupasaraputta uh, is wise. He is a great, deep, and penetrating discernment or wisdom. Why is he saying that? He's saying that so that we understand that we need to, to develop deep and penetrating discernment or wisdom. And he did it from being secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities. What are those mental mental qualities? We looked at them in the Avarana Sutta, in the hindrances. Greed, sensual, sensuality, ill will, uh, boredom, uh, meaning I, I can't sit. I need to be always distracted by something, etc., etc. And Sariputta recognized these one after another. He didn't get distracted by this and that, which is the common human problem, isn't it? Excuse me. Most of us learn um, that the secret to life is getting as much out of each and every moment as we possibly can. And I, I don't think anybody would argue with that, would you? Would anybody argue with that? that that's kind of what we're taught. You, know, you should always be making something meaningful in this moment and always have to be getting something or achieving something or for some people protesting something, whatever it might be. The Buddha recognizes that's dukkha. That, that's, a, that's a constant distraction rooted in eye-making. <clears throat> and eye-making, we know, is rooted in self-loathing. I'm not good enough, so I always have to be producing something of myself rather than just be who I am, a six-property person having a human experience. But because of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, because of eye-making, we think that each and every moment has to be somehow productive or, excuse me, an ongoing evaluative story of our life, my life, dragging the past into the present, judging the present by the past, and letting that define my future. And none of that that I just described is reality, is it? None of it is based on what's occurring right here and right now. Even if it is referencing what's occurring right here and right now, that's all it's doing. And that reference point is skewed by what? By a fabrication in this moment. Does everybody follow me? Anybody? Really? I'm not quite sure I'm following me. So if you are, that's, that's fantastic. <coughs> Sariputta, now with the Buddha, the Buddha, I'm going to explain how it's done. 
Sariputta entered and remained in the first jhana, the first level of meditative absorption. We all do this, by the way. What I'm going to describe, we do it in each and every jhana session. This first jhana is characterized by rapture or contentment born of that seclusion. It simply means we, we started our, our meditation session. We, we've left the world behind. We've established seclusion and we've taken a couple of breaths. And so that first level of jhana is established. And we take contentment from just that, from that seclusion. The world's quieting down. My mind's quieting down. As Adam said earlier, we've established that refuge again. And we know that it's always there, don't we? As we continue with Dhamma practice, that becomes something that we can rely on. That's a, and that is a true refuge, isn't it? A true refuge is a place that we can rely on. We know that it's a place of safety and comfort. And this is because... It's no longer speculative for those who practice the Dhamma. We have that direct experience, and we can always go back to that. This first jhana is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. What does that mean? It just means that I find myself caught up and distracted by a feeling or a thought, and I direct my thought away from that and back to my breath. That's all it means. There's many texts that go into, I mean, there's texts that go into text and text and text <coughs> about directing our thought and how we should be directing our thought. The Abhidhamma is in a very pro, um, not profound, um, I, it, the word is, is, is hidden, but it's not the right word. Esoteric. But it, it, it purposely esoteric on just this point to, to always be grasping after the, the, the ineffable, which is nonsense, isn't it? It's something we're always fabricating. It's, always, it's almost like we keep fabricating the carrot in front of the horse, but we keep doing it to ourselves. So in jhana meditation, we use that thought that would initially be directed towards the next distraction. Even in some meditation practices, I one of the earliest practices I learned, I won't mention the practice itself, but the practice was whatever comes up in meditation, chase it down and see where it goes. And that was supposed to provide insight. But all that it was 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 the um, deciding on the topic today that was going to feed my ego. And and I did. I mean, I had 14 hour sessions doing just this that I thought were productive, but they're also terribly boring, boring, because all that I'm doing is being stuck in this head that I want to get away <clears> from anyway. So it didn't resolve any of those issues. Now this does. I direct my thought back to my breath and I evaluate that in the first jhana. And most of us will start questioning whether we do it or doing it right. Can I actually do this? Is that bald guy in French time cra French town crazy or not? That's all part of the first jhana. And it all falls away with the next breath. As we deepen our meditation, we fall into the second jhana. The qualities present in the first jhana, directed thought, evaluation, contentment, pleasure, concentration, there's a measure of it. Every time we come back to our breath, we're deepening our concentration. Contact, feeling, perception, intention, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another. So remember, Saraputta has deepened his concentration and he's able to recognize these qualities one after another. And what the Buddha is saying is Sariputta is not being distracted by these. He's simply recognizing them. He's recognizing a value. He's recognizing the need to judge. He's recognizing the contentment. He's recognizing pleasure and concentration, all these other things. But none of them are now a distraction to them. They're simply part of the mind that he's becoming familiar with. Excuse me. 
And you could say Saraputta became familiar with his own mind during those two weeks at such a profound level that that led to his understanding and no longer grasping after within his mind. So the Tibetan word for meditation is gong, G-O-M, and it has nothing to do with jhana meditation, simply to say that that word means to become familiar with in this sense and become familiar with our minds. But the Buddha figured out that it wasn't the fabrications in our mind that we had to become familiar with. We had to find a way to discern what was the fabrication and what was rooted in the reality of a six property person. And he does, he did that through a unique meditation practice, unique during his time and still today. I have yet to find another application of jhana. There's, me, there's meditation practices and there's many practices in modern Buddhism that talk about deepening concentration, even um, uh, physical practices like uh, uh, repetitive bowing is taught as um, a concentration practice and maybe so, but it's not something the Buddha taught. The Buddha taught to use our breath to deepen concentration for the sole purpose of recognizing <coughs> I made in this moment, the recognizing stress arising, passing away in this moment and for no other reason not for anything mystical or magical, not to, to travel around the stars or anything else like that. What it really is, is how to become a human being by being present for this human moment. Saraputta, wise, of great deep and penetrating discernment, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the first jhana. And so these aren't, um, these aren't to be seen as negative qualities. They're, they're, they're common human qualities present in the first level of jhana. And as our concentration begins to increase, we're recognize them. That's all. And we recognize them one after another and keep coming back to our breath. So there's a lot of words here in the sutta, and I'm using a lot of words to, to describe it further. But it all comes back to this moment in this breath. And every time I do that, I'm deepening my concentration, I'm deepening my levels of jhana, and I'm deepening the disconnection from ignorance, from, from connecting one ignorant thought to the next. Excuse me. Saraputta noticed how these qualities arose, came into play, and vanished. Having entered in the first jhana, contentment born of seclusion, accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Saraputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regards to these qualities. He remained free of greed and aversion. They were simply qualities of his mind that were present, that had no attraction to him at all. They were just, they were just, excuse me. They were just common human qualities that with a mind that's not concentrated could lead to stress. But in a, in a well-concentrated mind, they're simply human qualities. So one of the things that people misunderstand when they first come to this practice is there's a, that you lose all sense of self and all sense of um, sensory engagement with the world. But, it, but the truth of the matter is that through the Dhamma, and through deep concentration, we're able to be present in each and every moment in a way that is much more deep and profound 
than grasping after a sensual experience, isn't it? And every one of us can has had that experience. And it's just the, it's just the preciousness of living in this moment that is its own reward. There's no fabrication that I need to bring to this moment. Why? Because I'm alive. And what else could a human being want except to be alive, right? I mean, everything else is icing on the cake, so to speak, isn't it? But if I can be present for this moment and have this moment, moment be meaningful, why? Because I'm here. Not because the world says it, it's meaningful or because I'm, no, I'm recognized as the world's greatest <clears throat> meditation teacher or the world's greatest cook or anything else or the world's worst, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that we think we have to apply to ourselves to be a human. No. This moment is meaningful because I'm having it. That's all the justification or qualification we ever need for this moment. We never have to justify ourselves or qualify ourselves ever. We're having it. We're human beings. We're allowed to have a human experience. You're, you're understanding and that moment. You're yes. You're understanding that moment. And sometimes this human being, being mindful and fully present, might be sad. He might even be disturbed by something that he's hearing. But that human being hopefully will not take any of that personally. It's just a human being having a human experience. And and also when something wonderful happens, it's also just another moment. But it's a moment to be present for. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? We lose the, the need to... to distinguish between a good and bad moment, a positive or negative moment. We give up the, the, the religion of positivity, one of the most hurtful religions that's ever, uh, whatever, whatever the right word is, crashed on mankind. We learn it's just life occurring. It's just life occurring. Saraputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regards to these qualities. He remained independent, independent. That one line is contrary to every religion and every thought from the Buddhist time, before the Buddhist time, through today. We're not one cosmic mind. We're not gloriously resolving into this one big cosmic soup of nothingness or emptiness. That's hurtful, isn't it? That was, this was something that was taught during the Buddhist time. Remember his, his encounters with um, Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramaputta. They taught basically the same thing. The resolution <clears throat> in the dimension of nothingness or emptiness or neither perception or non-perception. The cosmic mind theory. And why do we do that as human beings? Because we can't figure it out. And so we have to put fabricated labels on things to explain things that we can't explain. But we shouldn't have to explain. We don't need to explain who and what we're doing here. We're here. That's it. We're human beings having a human life. And the first noble truth of a human life is there is dukkha. Don't take it personal. He remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. Any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. They just arose and passed away in Saraputta because of his concentration. He was still a human being. He didn't become some magical, mystical being. He lived his life as a human being, as did Siddhartha for 45 years. Having entered into the first jhana, Saraputta understood there is deeper concentration. 
he pursued this path and realized deeper concentration. He just knew there was, there was more to go. Saraputta, secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities, now with the stilling of directed thoughts and evaluation, entered and remained in the second jhana. This second jhana is characterized as contentment and pleasure now born of concentration. So you, you will all recognize this in your own jhana practice, that your, as your concentration, as your jhana practice deepens, even if it's just for a moment, you find yourself connecting a breath after a breath after a breath. Directed thought and evaluation has fallen away. Again, it might just be for a moment. It might just be for a breath or two. It's important to recognize that is deepening concentration. And also now you'll be able to recognize pleasure not born of seclusion, but now born of deepening concentration. You're recognizing in the, in the second jhana that this is bearing fruit. And it's so important to recognize why. Because then we become self-empowering to our practice. You're not relying on just the structure of the practice. It's also your experience of gradual awakening within the practice that keeps you on your cushion. Or that if you've lost your cushion for a while, it's that that gets you back on your cushion, isn't it? it just just um, reinvigorating that feeling. The qualities present in the second jhana, internal assurance, directed thought, evaluation, contentment, pleasure, concentration, contact, feeling, perception, intention, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another. They're still there. We don't lose our minds. We gain control of our minds. And so those mental qualities necessary to have a human life are still there. They're no longer a cause for distractions. We recognize them one after another. Saraputta, wise, of great, deep, and penetrating discernment, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the second jhana. He noticed how these qualities arose, how they came into play and vanished. He's, uh, the commentary here is he's also recognizing the, um, the insubstantiality of all of these things that are arising and passing away. They're just thoughts. Sometimes they're thoughts that are, that are um, referential to something important to us, which will usually then cause a distraction, or sometimes it's just a thought arising and passing away. But what we're learning here too in, in jhana meditation, whatever arises, passes away. Meaning, whenever we caught ourselves, we catch ourselves caught up in chasing a thought or a feeling or a thought attached to a feeling and emotion, whether it's 30 seconds in our jhana meditation session or 20 minutes, it doesn't matter because it is at that point that we take a breath and we deepen our concentration. That's jhana practice. He noticed how these qualities arose, came into play and vanished. Having entered into the second jhana, <clears throat> concentration born, concentration, sorry, contentment born of concentration, free from directed thought and evaluation, Saraputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regards to these qualities. He simply, they simply arose and passed away. He remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. Excuse me. So the Buddha is describing um, 
a developed jhana practice, but also an ordinary jhana practice, meaning this, these are the things that we should be experiencing and are experiencing in our jhana practice. We're finding out that we're no longer distracted by a feeling or a thought or a thought attached to a feeling, which is what distracts us constantly from our life. And when we can take this direct approach that, uh-oh, there's something come up. What is that thought? It's attached to this argument I had earlier today. How am I going to reason? I've united my mind and my body. I'm no longer stuck in the past and having that past throw my mind into the future, creating stress in this moment, right? It is this argument that I remembered in jhana meditation that caused me to lose my mind and lose my, my presence. But jhana meditation allowed me to get it back in a direct way. Does everybody see that and understand that it's a simple explanation of what we all do? But we do it off our cushion as well. You know, so in our in jhana meditation, we're deepening our concentration and recognizing that concentration deepening by, by recognizing these deeper deepening levels of, of jhana. Having entered the second jhana, Saraputta understood there is deeper concentration. He pursued this path, the Eightfold Path, and realized deeper concentration. Saraputta, secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities, with the fading of contentment and remaining equanimous, mindful and alert, sensitive to pleasure in the body. That's different than chasing after sensuality, isn't it? Being sensitive to pleasure is not chasing after pleasure. It's, it's being a mature human being who is using this form as it's meant to be as a human being, that I'm sensitive to pleasure, especially the pleasure of deepening concentration, because now I'm, I'm becoming sensitive to reality, which is what? Calm and peace. <clears throat> Anything that is antagonistic to a common peaceful mind, I now know is rooted in eye making. And so now my life and my mind becomes very simple because I can recognize it in this moment as the, as the Buddha taught Bahia. Do you see any distraction in your mind? Do you see any upset in this moment? Is there something that has caught your breath, right? When people can really become very stressed, they catch their breath. In fact, people who have deep trauma have a very hard time with breath meditation because of that. And we've, we've had some people here, and I've worked with some, that they, they have such a, um, uh, a difficult time just being present with their breath that they can't do this simple meditation until they overcome that. That's, that's very common. And so we're using this one tool that an otherwise distracted mind uses for distraction in a very skillful and brilliant way that the Buddha discovered. But it has to be within the right framework as well, doesn't it? The Buddha didn't just say, when you're distracted, breathe. He taught us how to recognize that our that our jhana meditation is bearing fruit and how to put it in the right context and apply it in the right way, the Eightfold Path. Again, it's, remember, we've, we've learned that for every class, but certainly here, that it's not just meditation. Meditation is taken off its cushion and, bring, and brought into our moment-by-moment moment life by integrating the Eightfold Path. Saraputta, secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities, with a fading of contentment and remaining equanimous, mindful, and alert, sensitive to pleasure in the body, entered and remained in the third jhana. The third jhana is characterized by the noble ones as equanimous, mindful, resting in a pleasant abiding. 
So the third jhana, it's just deepening concentration. And for a breath or two or 20 minutes, it is just that. It's just a pleasant abiding. And that's a direct experience of an awakened human being, isn't it? Because an awakened human being, a fully mature human being, carries that off his cushion, integrated with the Eightfold Path, and sees each and every moment in this impersonal way. And when something comes up to distract or disturb, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. Because we built that on our cushion, we're able to take it out to the world. And we, we've all talked about that here, too. In fact, most of our discussions are about how we're applying this in just this way, isn't it? Sariputta, wise of great, deep, and penetrating discernment, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the third jhana. So again, even this deepening concentration is nothing to grasp after or cling to. It's simply to be recognized that it's developed. He noticed how these qualities arose, came into play, and vanished. Having entered in the third jhana, <laughs> entered in the third jhana, equanimous, a pleasant abiding, concentration, sensory contact, feelings, perceptions, intention, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another, again and again. These so-called good and bad qualities are just mental qualities, and we recognize them arising and passing away, not grasping after anything. And so my mind remains in, in an equanimous state, resting in equanimity which is the beginning of that, that deepening level of, of the fourth jhana of <clears throat> Saraputra remained free of attraction or aversion in regards to these qualities. <clears throat> he remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. He was simply sovereign in his meditation. He wasn't attached to any thought or ideology at that point. Having entered into the third jhana, Sariputta understood there is deeper concentration. He pursued this path and realized deeper concentration. Again, he pursued this eightfold path. Then the Buddha says, furthermore, with the abandoning of joy and distress, and with the, with the meaning with the abandoning of contentment, meaning he no longer needs that quality of mind, and with the abandoning of pleasure and pain. Sariputta entered and remained into the fourth jhana. The fourth jhana is characterized by the purity of equanimity and refined mindfulness. There is no evaluation regarding pleasure or pain. This fourth jhana, it's just what's occurring. There's no, re there's no evaluation. It's just what is occurring in this moment. And it doesn't mean that if we get an infection on our toe and have to go to the hospital, we, we don't address it. We do. But it means we don't even take that personally, which is probably why I had three good days in a hospital. I, it was literally fun. I'm not trying to show off, but people thought I was a little crazy. Because why are you smiling all the time? But I realized I had, a, I had a good time. It was just like any other day. And, you know, here I am in this place. But it's not, to, it's not, it's not so we can have fun in the hospital. That's the point. The point is so that we can be present for our life as our life unfolds, no matter what it is. Sensitive to pleasure and sensitive to pain. Not running away from either one of those. 
So remember that the Buddha spent many, many of the, <clears throat> those six years in a very ascetic practice, meaning denying his, his own basic needs, thinking that that was a path to purification or the other path that is common then and today of complete indulgence, complete sensory indulgence. No, the Buddha taught a middle way which allowed for humanity to understand that a human being needs certain things. We need, we need to be um, engaged mindfully in the world, but not mindlessly in the world. And that's the key. I and mean, you could say that's the trick to understand how to do that. And the Buddha teaches us how to do just that. Sariputta, wise, of great, under, of great deep and penetrating discernment, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the fourth shana. He noticed how these qualities arose, came into play, and vanished. Having entered in the fourth shana, established now in equanimity, abandoning, evaluating pleasure and pain, an internal calm and a pleasant abiding of concentration, sensory contact, feelings, perceptions, intention, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another. They're still present in that fourth level of jhana, but now they're characterized as an even, even deeper level of equanimity called, equanimity called equanimous, a balanced quality of mind, no matter what is occurring. The mind is not subject to any of the vagaries of, of an impermanent world because it's always resting in concentration. So no matter what's flowing in and out of this sixth property person's life, concentration is what's prevailing. Calm is what's prevailing. So each and every moment is experienced as reality. It doesn't have to be colored in any way at all for me to, to stay present with it. Why? Because I want to be in my life. I don't want to run away from it anymore. Having entered into the fourth jhana, Sariputta understood there is deeper concentration. He pursued this path and realized there is deeper concentration. Furthermore, Sariputta abandoned self-identification with physical form. Physical form, he abandoned self-identification with external forms, meaning that fabricating myself in other realms, future realms, heavenly realms. Um, any kind of imaginary realm, including the imaginary realm of who and what I might be tomorrow, if I can just be good enough today. That's the same thing. It's just as, as a um, hurtful distraction as thinking that I can establish myself in a better life somewhere in the future, and so I can discount the suffering in this life or, or just ignore it altogether without gaining any understanding. That's this whole salvific kind of mentality that is rooted in ultimate self-loathing, isn't it? That I'm simply no good and I'm not good enough for this human life, but I'll get, a, I'll get some, a, a non-human, inhuman life. Well, I think that's an inhuman way to treat ourselves, isn't it? I'm a human being. And what I always wanted, I didn't understand it, but what I always was looking for was how to have that life, how to be present for it and not run away from it. First from drugs and alcohol, but then through so-called spiritual practices and spiritual studies. Because I was first drawn to the ones that provided ongoing distraction, which was really the same thing I was getting out of the bottom of a vodka bottle, wasn't it? 
And it wasn't until I got really fed up with being distracted in that way that I decided to see if I could actually understand what a Buddha taught, if there was a way to discern that. And I, I think I found it. That's what we practice here. But it changed everything from <clears throat> seeking salvation, which is a pretty good for me because I figured I would never get it anyway, not chasing salvation to simply being present with what I was, which was a human being. And it was at that point that I was able to accept, yeah, there were some things in my life that I'm, I'm not proud of, but I no longer beat myself up over. And I also found a way to deal with that so that none of that stuff, if I do, I need to drag it into the present moment because it's not me, is it? None of that is. Even what I, I said in the last moment isn't me. And what I'm saying now won't de describe me in the next moment. And it doesn't do us. <laughs> you see me jumping around. I got a little bit of pain in my leg. It helps when I move. Furthermore, Saraputta abandoned self-identification with physical form, abandoned self-identification with external form, and per perceptions of aversion disappeared. Now Saraputta perceives a dimension of infinite space. Saraputta entered and remained in the dimension of infinite space. The qualities present in a dimension of infinite space, the perception of a dimension of infinite space, concentration, sensory contact, feelings, perceptions, etc., etc., were recognized one after another. He noticed how these qualities came into play and vanished. Saraputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regards to these qualities. He remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. So this is the same teaching, again, during the Buddhist time, as this time, that, that we should seek um, to establish ourselves in some kind of non-physical realm as a resolution for some kind of spiritual or religious practice right here and right now. And this was every modern Buddhist, and I'm not putting it down. This is what I found that didn't work for me. It worked for millions and millions of other people, right? Saraputta found something different too compared to what people were practicing during his time. And it was just this, to learn how to be present for this moment rather than to be grasping after something that I can't be. Or even to, to fix something that is not broken, right? To simply recognize what I am as a human being. Having, having abandoned the perceptions of the dimensions of infinite space, the dimensions of nothingness, infinite consciousness, and neither perception nor non-perception, again, just references to any kind of non-physical imaginary existence. Saraputta understand, understood there is deeper concentration, even getting distracted by salvation and the dreams of salvation. There's deeper concentration in even that. He pursued this path, the Eightfold Path, and realized deeper concentration. Furthermore, Saraputta, having abandoned the perception of any of these fabricated dimensions, he entered and remained in the, in the cessation of perception and feelings. Upon this realization, the qualities of a mind arising and grasping after even cessation, greed, aversion, and delusion were completely abandoned. His Dharma practice had matured and there's nothing there's nothing else left to be grasping after he understood. Fully mindful of his attainment, he regained, he regarded the impermanent, the impermanence of all these past qualities. 
all of these mental qualities, they arise, they become our experience, <clears throat> and they pass away, every one of them. And all of it occurs in here, doesn't it? Everything. Well, the experience of everything occurs in here, even what occurs outside. Saraputta remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. He now understood there is no deeper concentration. He pursued this eightfold path and realized there is no deeper concentration. And then the Buddha says, if any person were to speak rightly and with skill, were to say Saraputta has attained mastery and perfection of noble virtue, noble concentration, and noble wisdom. That's the reference to the Eightfold Path. Saraputta has attained mastery and perfection of the threefold noble, noble Eightfold Path and has attained noble release, meaning he's awakened. If any person were to speak rightly and with skill, were to say Saraputta is born of the Buddha's words. I love this. Born of the Buddha's words. Now, the, the Buddha was the most self-effacing human being that ever lived, I believe. So he wasn't taking credit for <clears throat> providing Saraputta's awakening, was he? But he's saying that, that because Saraputta so profoundly understood the words that he awakened. He, he, had, he, gained his, he regained his human life in this moment. He was, and this is the Buddha's reference to, to, to what is, this is the Buddha's reference to what is important to give birth to not a future rebirth or endless cycles of rebirth. The Buddha never taught anything like that. But he taught to be mindful of what we're giving birth to in this moment. And this is what he's referencing here. If any person were to speak rightly and with skill, were to say Saraputta is born of the Buddha's words, in this way, he's the Buddha's son, his offspring. Saraputta is born of the Dhamma has become awakened from the Dhamma. His inheritance is not of worldly things. His inheritance is my Dhamma. You see the beautiful connection? The Buddha is, the Buddha is treating us as, a, as a, the most benevolent dad in the world too. But he's saying, I'm giving you this to give you your human life. And he said the same thing that he gave Saraputta, he's giving to all of us. And again, not in, not in the salvific way, is he? He's saying, just do this, deepen your concentration and you can be a human being. This is, this is his inheritance, his inheritance. Saraputta, my friends, has taken to the wheel of Dhamma, set rolling by me, and he keeps it rolling in authenticity, maintaining the Dhamma. He keeps, he keeps it rolling in authenticity. Excuse me. He doesn't corrupt it with this practice or that practice, which is so common during the Buddhist time and again during today. This is what was said by the great teacher. Those gathered were delighted by his words. It's the end of today's secret. Yeah, all right. Jeff, how are you? Well, well, John, thank you for the teaching. Um, I'll remain silent, just listen as we talked earlier i'm still a little bit off physically so thank you very much i'm glad you joined us. does anybody have to leave early it's 9 35 i'll be meeting in a few minutes hello mary beth i'm glad you joined us today
Would you oh, like this? <laughs> hey, gotcha. Yeah, you, got me. Uh, you don't have it. If, no, if you'd rather sit quietly, that's fine. I, I will mostly sit quietly. And, and I was hearing all that you were saying. It's so great to be back and coming um, to be part of this, the community of the Sangha, but also to be hearing the teachings and having, you know, discovered the podcasts, which I didn't know oh, existed. Yeah. So I'm listening to, you know, the talks that I missed. Great. Like this past Tuesday, and this. But also, um, I I find myself looking at the stuff you have posted here on the wall, mm-hmm. and it's so helpful to just keep seeing it and connecting it yeah. and seeing it and connecting it. And um, I also find myself, uh, I suppose, it's a distraction, but <laughs> thinking about how I would love to share these teachings with the teens that I work with. And I, I think I might've brought this up before. Yeah. That's, uh, I, that's probably me acknowledging it, a little bit of a distraction. But <laughs> well, I, I think that's, uh, that's a skillful A good thought. one, a skillful, yeah. yeah. So that's really it. Well, yeah, thank, thank you. you. I mean, I think that, that's, a, that's a great thought and anything I can ever do to help you with the work. Absolutely. Uh, anybody else, Ron, do you gotta leave early? What do you got to say for yourself? I'm going to teach you um, all. Just really enjoy it. Let's see, I forgot Mary Beth. Sorry, Mary Beth. Oh, no, <laughs> that's we'll okay. <laughs> just really enjoy listening to this description of the jhanas. Because it, it brings it back to the very ordinary things. Just the things that arise and pass away. And, and that's, that's it. Yeah. So, yes, uh, thank you. It, it's, it's just. Yeah. It is. They, they, they kind of the challenge sitting in this seat is there's a lot of words and it's important to explain it, but it really just comes down to my breath this moment, uniting my mind and my body through my breath. So, again, anybody else have to leave early? I'll call on you. Nobody's admitting it now. <laughs> Mary Allen, how are you, Dhamma teacher Mary? Hi, John. Um, I do think we need a different name for some of us who aren't going to teach all the time, but maybe once in a while, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't, I don't feel like, uh, uh, the same as, uh, some of the initial teachers and that's not a ding against me. It just, uh, suggests a different role, uh, for me, but anyway, just throwing that out there. Um, I love, uh, I love this teaching and I'm hearing some things that I started to hear um, a few weeks ago and um, it, it, it applies to uh, a situation I experienced on Friday and it reminds me also of the second arrow that like, so this is a learning I, I've just experienced and I, I think it started on retreat. So um that we don't all of a sudden become different people. We don't have, th- we don't lose having thoughts that distract us or having moments of, um, you know, fear or, you know, insert other things that take us away from the present moment. What it is, is that, you know, we still might make a mistake or have a negative experience with another human being, for example. But the difference is, is that we recognize it. We don't 
put in the second arrow and make ourselves feel worse or get angry about what that person said or, you know, what their behavior was. You just recognize it. And then your brain is not rippling with all that um, negativity and anger and fear and worry about consequences and all these other things. And instead you recognize it. And in time, you're able to release it from experiencing all that yeah. um, negative. And that's the maturity part. And so yeah. I think back on an experience I had yesterday, and that's the difference. Uh, in, in, as you get better at this, or maybe that's not the right word, but as your practice deepens, yeah. You recognize it sooner. And I feel like I've said this before, but I'm just applying it to a different situation and learning it all over again, maybe. And you you just recognize it and you let it go. And there's the, all the emotional blah that occurs sometimes with other humans dissipates and goes away. And that's what I just experienced this morning because I was carrying a little bit of this interaction I had with another, um, with someone on my team. Um, and I was carrying that with me into this morning's session. And I just realized, you know, something I already knew, but I just realized it at a deeper level and put it into practice. And I've just sort of let it go rather than assigning some responsibility to myself to carry it with me and still be upset about it. And, all of that. So anyway, didn't mean to necessarily share all that, but um, that's just what I got out of this this morning. And that's, it's not that everything goes away. It's just, you don't respond to it. You don't hang on to it. You experience it for being part of human life. That's what I had to say. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mary. Dr. Kevin. Morning, John. <clears throat> Morning, everybody. Um, thank you for the teaching, John. Um, when I, I read this sutta this week, and then I decided to listen to one of the talks, and somehow I picked a talk from 2018, mm-hmm. and back to that, you know, I just passed my sixth anniversary with uh, you, John. And wow. um, when I think back to just when it was two years into it. You know, I could understand the words and I could understand the concepts and I could think, well, someday I'll aspire maybe to reach that, those levels of jhana. And now, you know, after doing this for four more years, you know, this week in meditation, I've definitely reached some very profound depths in jhana. And now I realize (laughs) what it is. Uh, word that I could persist in this, you know, moment by moment would be a great thing. But uh, I see it now and I really, you know, I really appreciate all these years. Yeah. And it it changes the quality of the present moment, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. uh, Thank you. Good good coming back. A lot of great effort, you know. (laughs) Uh, I can't tell. Is Kevin Hart on with us, Dhamma teacher Kevin? Uh, no, 
I don't think so. I'm a teacher, Tom, from the UK. How are you? I'm good, thanks, John. Uh, I sometimes listen to those old 2018, 2017 yeah. talks. It feels a bit retro. I kind of imagine John back there, <laughs> maybe with a bit of hair or something like that. Who knows? Um, well, the beads. I used to wear a lot of beads. <laughs> Sometimes a rattle. <laughs> retro. Um, 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 yeah. Look, I, I, I'll keep it. I'll keep it short. I, I guess. I always, I struggle a little bit with the four levels of genre because I just get. I still, I mean, I've studied them many, many times. I still get a little bit, you know, I like to sort of understand the differences between each level. And I, I get the general idea, right, of deepening concentration. I still struggle a little bit to clearly distinguish between each level, especially once you go down, you know, from level two to three and three to four. Um, but I do yeah. get, I get the, I get the, you know, I get the general idea and I feel that I, I understand enough of it to, for it to be sort of helpful in my, um, in guiding my practice. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think, um, you know, what, what, what Mary said about sort of, um, um, what was it? We, it's, it's, it's a very humbling practice, right? So you're constantly being reminded of what you kind of already know, but we, we just need to go again. We just need to keep coming back. And it, it is in, incredibly humbling, you know, how, um, how much and how often I still get caught um, in eye making. Um, and, and yet there's just that um, reassurance I have now and that, the refuge of this practice and knowing that this practice is there as a refuge is, is so mm, powerful for me because every time I do get caught, I'm just reminded, you know, Jordan's words, um, be gentle with yourself, you know, and, and so every time it is humbling the practice, you don't beat yourself up or, or, or think that you're doing it wrong. You're just, you're just, um, you're just a human being. Um, trying to break the habit of a lifetime or the habits of a lifetime. So uh, anyway, that, that, that's all I've got. But um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone. There was a lot. There, there is no real clear discernment between the deeper levels of jhana. Remember, the Buddha taught in this. He used lists for everything because originally the, the, the Dhamma was taught as an oral tradition. And so it's much easier to teach and remember lists than it would be just the conceptual application of these deeper levels of jhana. But there, as our concentration deepens, you don't necessarily have to or will notice I'm in the second jhana. You know, there's, there's, you don't go through a gate or anything. But it's important to recognize that our meditation is bearing fruit by recognizing deepening concentration. So, thank you, Tom. Slav, how are you? I think he he might have stepped out of the room. He doesn't doesn't look like he's in the picture right now. Okay. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you, and thank you for the teaching. Um, Good to have I you think, back here. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think uh, lifetime habit. I, I'll uh, use as a segue that I've had spent a lifetime always trying to be better. You know, in my brain, you know, trying spinning and troubleshooting. You know how. How can I be um, 
you know, how do you make more money? How can I be better at my job? How can I be nicer? How can I, you know, try to be this perfect, you know, human being or whatever. And it's really, it leads to just that self-loathing because you're never, yeah. you know, um, happy, you know, you're just grasping for, you know, be trying to be this person that you can never be. And then you're not appreciating who you are in that moment. And it just, you know, you're never mindful. So it's just this, you know, grasping and any aversion and you know it's uh it's debilitating you know i think everyone deals with it and you know i think that's where this practice really comes in and that's where the concentration to hold in mind um the understanding of the dhamma and be able to uh you know uh it's the the remind the constant reminding you know you're able to distract that and stop the troubleshooting stop it so i really like this sutta thank you thank you tom i like it too Becky. John, I think Slav is back, just so you know. Oh, yeah, let, me, let me go to Slav. Okay. Hello, Slav. Hello, John. Thank you very much for teaching. It was very interesting. You're breaking up, Slav. Sorry. Um, give it another try. Uh, you're, not, you're, you're breaking up. What's that? I think it's this microphone, it sounds like. Yeah, there's, there's something wrong on your microphone. Yeah, it's not in the unit. I say thank you very much for your teaching. It's very realization because I heard some comments. Uh, some yeah, can I, anybody, uh, I, Bob, I can't follow you. I'm sorry. Can anybody follow me? Okay. No. You're breaking up too much. No. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Becky? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, I wrote down some things, but really this, and I wrote, one of the things I wrote down is read this sutta again before you meditate, because I thought it was just so helpful. And it's always been a help to me, the concept of not taking things personally is one of the things that has helped me understand the Dharma, understand day-to-day -day right view. If, yeah. if, you can be, if you can be lucky enough or concentrated enough to maintain that. And so I wrote down that, that common human qualities and experiences that would normally cause stress can be experienced without stress if mm -hmm. we do not take them personally. Yes. They will always yeah. be there. Always. There is dukkha. Personal and truth. You can, you know, you can experience them. Yeah. And and then taking something personally is is grabbing on. Yeah. And when we do grab on, 
and then we recognize the stress, then it's it can take it can take a lot of time. It can take time. Yeah. It depends on how concentrated and how how much we have devoted to our Dhamma practice, but that will fall away, like like Mary said. We don't have to carry around that horror that we only oh, made this mistake. What can I do? Da, da, da. And that grabbing on, we can just let it go as soon as we recognize it. Yep. And then right view again. And that's true liberation, <coughs> isn't it? Pardon? That's true liberation. It's true yeah. liberation. Yeah. It is. And liberation from what? Liberation from your own ignorance. From your own ignorance. Yeah. Yep. And there's, so there's no salvation necessary there, is there? It's just, it's just really there's one no mindful salvation. thought. It's just really, it's really, I really love when you say <coughs> it's, what do you say? It's true human maturity. Yeah. It's the it's the end point yeah. of becoming a, a mature human being. Which is another way of saying, in this moment, I don't want or need anything. Mm -hmm. In this moment, again, the Buddha taught that every human being needs four things. We need food, clothing, <clears throat> shelter, and medicine. Right. Those are mostly readily available. In other words, we don't have to put a lot of energy into that. And once that's taken care of, mm -hmm. it's just calm. Thank you, John. A great evaluation. Thank you. Julia. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you, John, for the teaching. Um, I'm really, in this moment right now, I'm really enjoying what it's like to be a human being. And, <laughs> you know, if I'm being a mature human being, okay, recognize it, come back to my breath. If I'm not being a mature human being, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Come yeah. back to my breath. Yeah. Excellent. That's all I gotta say. Thanks. That's uh, that's pretty good. Thank <laughs> you. Hello, Adam. Good to John. see you. Likewise, nice to be nice to be seen. Uh, <laughs> I'm just feasting on uh, uh, Becky and Mary and, and Julie as well. Uh, observed, so no silence for me. Yeah, that's a lot to feast on. Isn't it? Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Great. Good to see you. Good to see you, John. Um, this is one of those suttas that the first time I came across it caused me more trouble than good. I think. <laughs> Because I like to really enumerate things and have these like yeah. these visuals are so helpful. They're up here and lists and flow charts and things of that nature. So when I would like the seven factors of awakening are mentioned within there. There's the jhanas with their each one has their different. So then I find myself in meditation, constantly analyzing. All right, what jhana man? Oh, am I experiencing? You know the rapture. Am I experiencing the concentration? Am I, and then it becomes this really narrative, discursive type of thinking. And uh, for a while, so I guess I just wanted to share. If anyone else is going through this, don't worry, it passes. Yeah. <laughs> but the first time I came across this, it became extremely distracting because then in meditation, I'm constantly looking for these, I would list things out and I'd go, all right, which of the seven factors am I experiencing? Yeah. Am I in this genre or in that genre? How do I get to the next one? And then, oh, well, last time I was in the third genre. Why am I only in the, like, you know? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so if anyone's experiencing that on first contact with this, it will pass. And 
<laughs> Equanimity will be the, uh, you know, the key to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these these aren't to, to be seen as achievements. They're just levels of meditative absorption that we all pass through. Period. And when we when we recognize it, that's it. We just recognize it. Thank you for sharing. Dharma teacher Jen. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Um, I guess the only thing that that I wanted to say is that something sort of uh, Mary kind of alluded to, and then also there was something you said, John, um, that uh, when we recognize that we're taking something personally, that doesn't mean that we automatically abandon it. So we kind of also have to cultivate that presence of mind to say that, you know, okay, I'm taking this thing personally and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Too. Yeah. That's the, that's the beginning of, of, of right. isn't it? Because you're coming up again, you're on, it's on a talk coming up against impermanence and that is the first noble truth. So that is not something we get to avoid just because we are practicing the Dhamma. Yes. And so Jen is describing the process. And it's important to recognize the process because that's what we're doing. And when you when you recognize the process, then the process itself becomes rather simple, doesn't it? Right. But you first have to learn. Even Greg was saying, you know, it takes it takes some ongoing Dhamma practice, but that's what we what we're here for. Yeah, I feel like kind of like what Greg was saying. So for me, my sticking point was always like I'm taking this personally, and then I would get stuck on that. Like instead of just understanding that you're taking it personally, it became yeah. about now I have to stop taking this personally, yeah. and that was more that would cause more distraction. Yeah. And then you take that personal, right? Don't right. Yeah. <laughs> Beautifully <laughs> said, Jen. Beautifully said. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it is. And so to be, and to notice, to be gentle with yourself. Right, right. And and for the most sensible and rational reasons, why shouldn't I be gentle mm. with myself? Or why would I not be? You know, I was, I was very harsh with myself for many, many years, whether it was, you know, in addiction or in, in spirituality, I was still beating the hell out of myself in many ways. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't good enough. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I'm a teacher, David. Yeah, I'm also there. Thank you. All right, we're going to continue our series um, until the end of the year. Uh, there's actually, I think, two classes after this, but that's for snow days, or we'll just fill something in. Um, all right, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. Uh, any other, any questions or comments before we finish class? So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, 
Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, admitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for watching the class this morning. Peace. <clears throat> See you all. all right, thanks, Thank Pat. you. Have a nice weekend, everyone. Everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.